Hey guys, how's it going? Ty here, Jason Cardboard. Today, I'm gonna break down the top eight ways to make money in sports cards. Um, look, it's a question we get all the time. It's an email we get all the time. It's, hey, I saw one of your episodes. Love what you're doing. We just came across this collection or I have this idea. What do you think? Will this work? And my gut reaction is, hold on. What are you doing? Making money in sports cards is really hard. Say what? Uh, in fact, most people lose money in sports cards. It's a money pit. But it's not fair. It's not fair because there's lots of people doing really well in sports cards. There's lots of people that are creative in the industry. And I want to be fair. Look, we're a perfect example of that. We found our niche and it's working. So I'm going to give you the eight ways that I think you can potentially make money in sports cards. Now this is going to be the hardest, most difficult thing you ever attempted in your entire life. But you know what? When it's, it's over, get emotional. When it's over, when it's over, you guys are gonna be champions. Champions! By God, you're gonna be champions! So the the first way that you can make money in sports cards is our bread and butter. It's a no-brainer, right? It's buying and selling collections. It's what we do uh, for a living, and it's it's probably the most capital-intensive, uh, and it's probably the most resource-intensive. In, in that, if you don't have a good back-end process of getting through collections and selling your collections, you're going to end up with a whole lot of inventory that you don't move. And that is the that is the nail in the coffin for a lot of guys that buy collections. They end up buying a lot of collections and don't sell them. Test. Test. Strategy number two would be buying top rookies within each, each rookie class. So picking a couple sports, picking the primary sports, and just buying the top two or three rookies. Mark was a great example of that in, in episode one. Rob was a great example of that in episode 15. Um, and that is just picking two or three rookies, going as far in as you can in those rookies. And you know, buying graded cards, buying short printed cards. The idea there is that eventually one, two, three of those players are going to end up being the faces of, the, of, the, of their sport. Morant, oh! And when that happens, you're going to capitalize substantially because you have a lot of inventory of that player. Number three would be utilizing yard cells, storage units, estate cells. We had that uh, estate cell that we purchased in episode nine and 10. It worked out very well, it was, it was six million cards. We took a gamble and we won on that. It's a great way of doing it. I think you can get in cheaper than you would buying you know, collections from, from hobbyists or collectors because a lot of times you're walking into situations where people don't know what they have. And so you can walk in and make offers that are fair, but they're really fair to people because they just don't, they're just trying to get rid of stuff quick. I'm not gonna do 125. I'm not asking you to. Okay. I'm asking 25. I'll do 15. What about 22? 20. 21. Okay. Strategy number four would be analyzing prospects and undervalued players. Uh, if, if you're a coach or if you're a talent evaluator and you can look at players and say, I, I think there's this guy's got, he's got a, the potential to be something good. Uh, he had a bad rookie year. He had a bad sophomore year. Uh, but he's got all the tools and you're willing to take the risk after a guy becomes undervalued. So many guys that I know in this hobby do really well by kind of going in on players after they don't meet expectations. Um, a good example of that on the show would be episode seven with Joey. He was very good at picking players. So go 
go use your skills. You know, use your analytics, use your talent evaluation. Side note, did you know that we have an email newsletter that goes out every Monday? Uh, we, we spend a little bit of time. We put, we actually spend three to four hours a week putting together a sweet newsletter with hobby insights and metrics, headlines you need to know, top tweets of the week. It's free, it's fun. Click the link in the top right corner uh, or top left corner, wherever that ends up. Option number five would be ripping product and piecing out team sets and player lots. It's grueling, it's a gamble, but it can work. And I know many guys in this hobby who have made full-time living out of simply playing the numbers game. And it truly is a numbers game when it comes to ripping quantity. Because you are you are basically looking at odds and you're playing out the number of sets that you're gonna get, the number of you know player lots that you're gonna get, and you're it's you're just you're playing the math, and your your gravy is when you hit really high end top cards in the product. Oh, oh, oh you already told me five of ten. That basically add to the bottom line and allow you to be profitable. Usually only works really well in baseball. Might sometimes work in basketball, but very rarely because basketball and football you don't have a lot of set buyers, and even uh, uh, team lots or player lot buyers. Baseball tends to be the best sport, and, and, and flagship products like the top series one, two, and update, the Chrome, the Heritage, the Allen and Ginter, those are the ones that work best for that. Um, episode eight with Ben was a great example of that, by the way. You can go check out episode eight, and he did a really good job. I'm standing next to a John Deere. I, so this is my first year, second year, with a tractor. Uh, and I don't know how many of you have tractors. So this is a John Deere 400, so Hello, what happened? Oh, hey, where'd you go? Oh. There you are. Anybody else have a tractor? I mean, I have to have a tractor because of the snow, but I've learned the hard way that, uh, again, you, you get a tractor and you just have to, you have to deal with all of the, all the maintenance, all the little things that you, have with a you know $30,000 piece of equipment anyway sorry I was just staring at that big beautiful green machine um, okay option number six would be adding value by grading cards now again I know that a lot of you have a sour taste in your mouth of grading I have a sour taste in my mouth of grading because it's imperfect uh, there's a lot that is wrong with grading but I still think the good outweighs the bad uh, there's uh, two really prominent grading companies. I would say three, I guess. PSA, BGS, SGC. I default to SGC on nearly everything with Vintage. Modern, it's a split between SGC and PSA. But again, it's imperfect. I understand it's imperfect. I like my cards and slabs. If you build up your ability to look at cards and, and, and evaluate the condition of a card, you can, you can make pretty good money evaluating cards, getting them graded, basically building in the appreciation. You take on the risk, you build in the appreciation, and uh, you can do well. Okay, strategy number seven would be buying vintage and holding it. Vintage appreciation is real. Like, it is a real thing. If you have the patience to hold vintage for five plus years, if you can buy top tier guys, uh, the Mays, the Aarons, the Mantles, um, the Ted Williams, those guys very rarely lose money. And there's a, there's a, there's been a huge shift to people that are trying to diversify money, diversify their assets, and they're using vintage cards as a way to do that. 
And look, we've talked about this many times. Vintage appreciation is a real thing. So if you have that patience to do that, you can do that. Uh, I would I would err on the side of sticking with prominent players because vintage collectors and buyers are very nuanced. They don't just buy everything. There might be some of the guys that piece out sets and build sets. That's great. But if you want to see true price appreciation, you need to stick with the tier one players as high of a grade as you possibly can. Those things appreciate very consistently and they appreciate faster than you think. Let me walk in here real quick. Uh, going into the card garage, you haven't seen a lot of this place. So I'm gonna warn you that uh, this is the place where cards, pallets go after they've been processed through uh, a couple of our guys at sort and uh, one of our guys that starts listing. Extra stuff goes in here and we try to process this, put it on pallets and get it out to other people. Uh, there's a freezer issue in here today. When you process as much meat as we do, you gotta have a big freezer. So let me show you real quickly what's going on here. It's a little bit of a mess because we're working through a, an extra collection. Uh, here is a pallet full of cards that um, is basically processed. We're gonna probably put this up. Um, we, don't, we don't get all the good cards out of these things. We get a lot of the good cards, but we try to move through things fast. And uh, we, we get them in and out, pull out the stuff that we want, stuff that we think we can sell quickly. If it's not sellable quickly, or if it's something that we don't know a lot about, we just put it back on the pallet, and we're gonna probably sell these as pallets coming up. So uh, anyway. Okay, so strategy number eight. Strategy number eight would be the one strategy that I just can't seem to do, because I don't have the willpower for it. And that is buying sealed boxes, sealed cases, sealed wax, and holding it. I know that seems crazy, like why would you do that? But if you go watch episode 11 with Randy, you'll see why you do that. And that is because it's risky sometimes even to buy one or two rookies from rookie classes, you know, strategy number two. But when you buy rookie classes, you know, if you, if you, for instance, if you would have invested in Marvin Bagley, 2018-19 basketball, he has not performed. He's, he's a nobody now. But if you would have invested in the 2018-19 rookie class by buying product, you'd have Luka Doncic, you'd have Gildas Alexander, you have Aiton, you have uh, Michael Porter Jr., you have guys that have substantial value in this hobby. Um, <clears throat> so buying sealed wax is a way of buying into rookie classes. And frankly, the one thing you can always bank on is that products will always be opened. They're gonna to continue to be opened, and the longer you hold sealed wax, the less and less supply that exists in the market. And you're, uh, you know, if you have decent product, you're gonna have kind of natural appreciation in your product. So Randy did a great job of that. Uh, he's made, uh, he's made a lot of money because he was patient. He bought, he just consistently bought wax and he did really well. So there you go, there's eight quick ways to make money in sports cards. Tell me what you think, what's worked well for you? What hasn't worked well for you? What, uh, what personality traits and skill sets do you have that might apply to one of those eight ways? And maybe which ways am I missing? Tell me what you think below. And if you haven't checked out our full episodes, I wanna put a playlist up right here for you to check out our full episodes. Go watch us now. Thanks so much, see ya. And close, please.